Hey friends, Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with the Lazy D&D Talk Show. This is a weekly show at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Times on Twitch, right before my 10 a.m. Lazy DM Prep Show. And in this show, we just sit back and relax and we talk about all things D&D. And if you would like to chat with me live, you can do so by going to twitch.com on 9 a.m. Eastern. I know it's a terrible hour, but it's not unpopular and uh, it's when I'm able to do it. So you can come and chat with me and we can talk about all things D&D. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish by, by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and signing up. Patrons get access to all kinds of exclusive content and previews and preview videos and all kinds of things. Uh, but most of all, they help me put on shows like this. They help pay for all of the infra infrastructure and everything that it takes to keep the Sly Flourish empire alive. So thank you very much to all of the patrons of Sly Flourish for helping me do this video. So yeah, I have a bunch of things I wanted to talk about today. There's a lot. I keep banging the mic. Uh, there's a lot of things I would like to talk about today. And let's take a look at the list. So here is our show notes. So there are two new books that got leaked from, uh, I guess by Amazon. It, it seems like they got leaked from multiple sources. I haven't really done all the research to say where they got leaked from. But um, it sounds like both Amazon.com and I guess Fantasy Grounds too also leaked a cover image. So uh, I thought we'd take a look at that. Uh, I want to talk more about how we can enjoy the Magic the Gathering D&D books that have been coming out. They have two now, and it looks like we have a third on the way. We have uh, Mystic Odysseys of Theros, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, and now uh, I don't know what the title is. Uh, we'll, we'll go take a look at it. But a third magic book coming out, which is all about mages and arcane stuff, arcane schools. How do we enjoy those more? We're going to talk about that. Uh, my friend Teos AlphaStream has an article that he wrote that has been getting a lot of attention and a lot of discussion on Twitter. I thought we would talk about that too. And I wanted to talk about the critical role conclusion. I haven't watched it, but I have thoughts about it, you know, because why not have opinions about things you actually have no understanding of? But I thought, I thought it would be, I have, a, I have a, what I think is an interesting take on Critical Role and, and what that means when we, when we watch a series like that. And I thought that'd be fun. And somebody on my Discord, I can't remember who, because I suck, uh, said, what's your Appendix N? So I thought we'd talk about our, my Appendix N, but more importantly, we're going to talk about your Appendix N. What is your, what are your, what influences you, right? Who cares what influences me? I've got my own tastes and my own desires and I'll share them just like we can all share them. And I suggest we all share them. Yeah, we could talk more about that. So I love the Theros book. No interest in using the settings, but the piety. Uh, bosses having a phase two and such loved it. Yeah, so, right. And there's lots of things we can take from all of it. I stole big chunks of Ravnica for my Eberron game. And yeah, Theros has a really interesting monster design that we can take from. So very cool. Rakam says, we covered your return to the Lazy Dungeon Master today. Great, who's we and where? Link, linky, link link to me, please. Yeah, so let's 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 dive in. So there's two new books uh, and, and I'm more excited for one than the other, but that also gets into why we should enjoy our uh, Magic the Gathering stuff. So we'll go to N-World. Feywild and Strixhaven Mage School. So Amazon has revealed the next two D&D hardcovers. The Wild Beyond, oh, by the way, is full of spoilers. If you wanted to wait, sorry. The Wild Beyond, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight is a Feywild adventure uh, due in September. So that's very cool. We can talk about that. And the Curriculum of Chaos is the other book. A Magic the Gathering setting of Strixhaven looks looks Harry Potter-esque mage school, which is set for November. So we have two books. I think there's rumors that there's one more book coming out this year. If we if we listen to um, 
what's his name? The head of uh, the D&D Beyond team said that there was another one. So we'll see. So we saw that there was a Folk of the Failed on the Unearthed Arcana. So here is the picture of the cover, which I think got leaked from Fantasy Grounds. Yeah, it's got a big Fantasy Grounds logo, but they're not happy about it. But Watsy's not happy about that. Called The Wild Beyond the Witch Light, a Feywild Adventure. And it looks like it's got circus stuff going on. Wicked, wickedly whimsical adventure for the world's greatest role-playing game. I'm pleased about this because I think I mentioned before that I was like, we've had like all sorts of darkness and brooding. And, you know, if you look at the last two adventures was Tyranny of Dragons, which is all about going to hell and uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which is all about freezing to death. Uh, it's really not, you know, like where's the fun and the high whimsy of, of that, we're, that we're missing in our D&D games. And hopefully, you know, they'd say w wickedly whimsical. So I'm hoping that a Feywild adventure will have lots of kind of up, upward beats and kind of fun things that go on. And, and I think, I think yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, you know, the cover's cool. Circus stuff we'll have to see. So that's exciting. And then the other one, which there is no cover for it yet, is Curriculum of Chaos, Strixhaven, uh, Strixhaven D&D Magic the Gathering book. I don't know anything about it. I don't know from the world what they're talking about. It's a school of mages in the plain of um, Arkavos, an elite university with five rival colleges founded by dragons. So that's interesting. The, can the dragon, some people are, are tying together that the recent dragon, draconic heritage uh, is tied to Strixhaven. So we'll see. So on July 16th, so I guess a month from now, we'll learn more, a little bit more in a month. Six weeks from now, we'll learn a little bit more about these and we'll see what they're like. Yeah, so cool, right? I'm on board. Uh, I think we should hang on to the idea that like, you know, treat Watsy like a third party publisher, right? And like say, hey, they're, they're doing great stuff. And so are a lot of people doing great stuff. So if you're excited for it, great. If you're not, there's lots of stuff out there to be excited about. I'm excited for it and we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I hope I hope this isn't like the dark side of the Feywild and it's like grim and stuff like that. I mean, there's obviously got a villains and obviously you have to have grim stuff, but I want some fantasy in my fantasy. How do you enjoy your magic the books more? I have a philosophy. I've talked to a lot of people about it. I've talked to people on Discord. I've talked to friends of mine in, in, in person about this. And when they hear that there is a new setting book for for D&D coming out and they hear it's I actually ran a test on somebody and I said, hey, Wizards of the Coast just announced a new D&D setting, an entire setting. And that entire setting is a fantasy version of Greek mythology. That's what they based it on. And they went, huh. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, how interesting is that to you? And I said, they said like an eight. And I said, okay, it's actually based on a Magic the Gathering world. And they went, oh. And I said, how much does it interest you now? And they said, like a four or five. And I was like, what the hell's the difference? Right? Like, I don't play Magic. So there's two, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, two kinds of people. There are people who play Magic the Gathering. There are people who don't play Magic the Gathering. The people who don't ma play Magic the Gathering, these are as good as brand new settings. They're as big as, as Eberron, Eberron was, right? Like, they're an entire new setting book. And maybe this setting isn't for you, right? Maybe you pick it up or you hear about it and you go, not really for me. And I'll give an example. Uh, Mystic, Mystic Odyssey of Theros, I bought it. I read it. I enjoyed it. As we talked about here in chat, there's some really cool monsters in it. But the machinations of the, god is of the gods has never really been an interesting plot idea to me. I've never really, I've never really been that interested in it. You know, I, I like the characters to be front and center, and I like the gods to be really far off in the background. I like them to be known and to be worshipped and that there are influences and that they provide spells and stuff like that, but only in like the highest level adventures where you're actually like really dealing with the gods should they actually show up. And in Mystic Odyssey, Mystic Odyssey of Theros, 
there is a lot of dealing with the gods. Like you're you're often like avatars of the gods and the gods are like, you know, their plots are your plots and stuff like that. That's not really that interesting to me. The monsters are cool. I like the book, but it's not like as a setting, it's not a setting that I'm ready to grab, right? That's fine. Uh, now, Ravnica, on the other hand, I was very interested in. I, I read it. I, I read it thoroughly and I enjoyed it. And I took pieces of it and threw it into Eberron. I took the cult of Rakdos and made them one of the dark six, one of the cults of the dark six in Eberron. And that worked really well. I wrote a whole article about how to use Ravnica and Eberron, I think. Right, using the gills of Ravnica and Eberron. So I have an entire article here on Sly Flourish about how you can take stuff from Ravnica and drop it right into Eberron. You know, and it's I think it's very useful for that. What I like about Ravnica is it's a completely different kind of world. It's not tied to any sort of, you know, real world theme or old mythology. It's its own world with a lot of richness and a lot of depth and beautiful art and really cool stuff in it. So I dug it a lot. And I think you can actually take the 10 guilds and and plop those things right out and drop them into other games as major as as major components. You know, the idea of like a vampire legal group and, you know. There's just really cool, a lot of cool stuff that you can grab and use in this. And I dug a lot. So I really dug Ravnica. Probably I dug Ravnica more than I dug Theros. So, you know, the theme of the world. But the point is, I wouldn't knock them because they're Magic the Gathering worlds. Who cares? Right? Like, we're bothered by it. So a lot of us, it feels like. A lot of people are bothered by the fact that they're Magic the Gathering worlds. And they, they I guess they're getting too much in the business of Watsi. And they're like, well, you're just stealing art from your other stuff. Or you already have this world fully developed, so it's not real. I mean, who cares, right? Like, what did you get? And what you got was a 256-page book or more. I don't know how big these books are. I think they're about 256 pages. Great big book with a whole new world that you can read and fall into and enjoy and escape for a while and then steal from and throw into your game and use. And, and it's, you know, so they're just as, to me, they're just as good as if Watsi said, hey, we reached out to a bunch of people and asked for a new world and we got two new worlds, right? It feels like Eberron to me, right? These worlds feel like Eberron. Now, obviously, I played more Eberron and there's more support for Eberron, I'd say, overall. But I dig it. So I would recommend if you find yourself looking at these worlds and saying to yourself, well, I don't care about them as much because they're a magic thing. Let go of that. Try letting go of that. Ignore the fact that it's a Magic the Gathering world and pay more attention to what the world has to offer for your game or for you just to enjoy and read. And if you're like me and you like you like one and you don't like the other, that's cool. Like if you look at the theme and you're like, you know, a giant city sized, a giant world sized city with 10 weird ass guilds doing a bunch of weird ass guild stuff is not that interesting to me. I've got other things I can do like that. Okay, cool. Like well, actually one of the things about Ravnica I don't like is how close it is to Planescape. And I would rather have Planescape because I know Planescape and I like it. So, so I would suggest um, trying to let go of the fact that it's a Magic the Gathering world and just Treat it as a brand new world. Think about it, that Watsi just put out a brand new book on a brand new world. Sunjammer says, but why spend money on those books that you know you can't use without a lot of work than buying a third-party book you know you could use? I don't know how they're different than third-party books in that way. I don't think you would do any more work to incorporate Midgard into your, into your uh, world. Maybe I'm missing your question. Maybe there was another question up that I missed. But uh, I don't think you're going to do more work for Ravnica than you would for any for for odyssey of the dragon lords or um uh you know and a bunch of other worlds that are coming out right i think you're going to do work regardless and to me it's the right kind of work like inspiring yourself with stuff that lots of other writers have written and lots of production value went into i think is a great way to go so i i think they are i think they're worth it and again you might go read previews and read reviews and say to yourself you know what 
a book about the god a book about you know greek mythology isn't really grabbing me okay well then don't buy it right but if the world looks interesting to you grab it Rakam says my gripe with strixhaven is that it felt already it felt already very derivative playing it at mtg and it's super uninspiring inspired in the game maybe it'll read better than it looks i i, I don't know so if you if you're familiar with it because of of magic and you don't like it because of magic well then i don't i'm not sure right but the argument that i'd have there is boy when i read Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, I don't really read anything about magic, right? I don't read anything about Magic the Gathering. There's a little bit about Planewalkers and stuff, but I didn't really feel like, you know... I get that there's like the, the, the pairings of all of the different colors is what sort of relates to the 10 guilds, but, you know... It's they don't even talk about it. You don't dig him. You don't dig him, right? Like, don't, don't, uh, you know... You don't... Ha- I'm not telling you to go buy him when you don't want him. Um, what I am saying is... I wouldn't discount them just because they're Magic the Gathering. I think there's probably a lot of material and they're written by really good authors that you can pilfer for a lot of your game. And I think the more you can take and the more you can pilfer, the better. And we're going to talk about that when I talk about Appendix appendix and stuff. So what else do we have on our list? I think we've, I think we've talked about how to enjoy... Teos, my friend Teos, Alpha Stream. Teos wrote an article, and I like it because it brands Sly Flourish. The first... Like two words you read in the article are, are slyflourish.com. So I'm very happy with the branding of this article. I approve. I guess it's, yeah. So it's based on a tweet thread that occurred when I talked about my article, Choosing Monsters Based on the Story, which I think was last week or the week before. No, I guess it's this past week's article. So I wrote an article, Choose Monsters Based on the Story. And the idea was there is like, don't worry about encounter balance last, right? Worry about what monsters make sense for the current story and the current situation first. You know, and and I've it's taking me time to come to this conclusion, but I think it makes sense. So I wanted to write a whole article that just talked about that, right? The understanding of choosing monsters that fit the situation in the story first. Don't choose them based on challenge. Don't say my characters are level X, so we need to have monsters of CRY in this number, right? In this quantity. And then figure out a story that surrounds it. I don't think that's the right way to, to do encounters in 5e. I, I mean, right way and wrong way. I know are extreme. And you're certainly free to ignore me. Many people do. But my, my feeling is that games are more fun. And, the, and when, the more we dive into the fiction of the game first and then worry about the mechanics second, the more fun the game will be. The idea of like there's a difference between going into a goblin hovel at level four than there is by going into a demon lord citadel in level 16 right? And you shouldn't expect to see a lot of goblins in your demon lord citadel at level 16, nor should you expect pit fiends or valors hanging out in your goblin caves at level four, right? It's not the level that matters. It's that it's goblin caves and and it's demon lord citadel. Those are two different locations. And you can imagine what kind of monsters would be available in each and in what quantity. So I believe strongly in this idea, choose the number and types of monsters that make sense for the story situation in the world. That's the first encounter building thing you should worry about and it's no math it's all fiction what monsters make sense for this situation and then figure out am i going to kill the characters accidentally so tails wrote a big article about this and um so enrique responded my friend enrique newbie dm responded with yeah my 12th level characters are getting are just rolling over things that should be deadly for them and that started a very common conversation that we've had on twitter and a lot and it uh and it's and it inspired teos's article Teos has a, 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 an article where he talks all about what the what the problem is, right? And and he comes down to a conclusion that I agree with a lot, which is monsters don't hit hard enough. I, I think the difference in this is that it's not about whether they hit hard enough 
at any point. It's that they, the amount of damage they inflict, the ratio of how threatening that damage is goes down as the levels get higher. So at first level, five hit point, five points of damage is pretty lethal. Like a, if you think about a CR one half thug who inflicts two attacks with pack tactics that does five damage per, they're going to knock out most characters. They're going to knock out a lot of characters because the average hit points of a first level characters is about 10, you know, depending on what kind of class and race and, and what everything you did. Think about the fact, you know, think about how much damage a monster would have to do at level 15 to have the same amount of threat that a thug has at first level. It would have to be like 170, 180 points of damage, right? It has, you know, if, 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 to, to really be damaging. And the challenge rating, so this is, you know, Teos talks about that, you know, how does the encounter system work? And that, you know, higher, and then he brings a very clear conclusion. Higher challenge rating monsters just don't keep up. They don't, right? And he's going to talk about this. So he has a, it's a very thoughtful article. It's gotten a fair bit of attention and uh, a lot of comments, a lot of discussion in his comment thing, uh, comment comment board here. Oh, it goes on and on and on. Uh, that talk about this. And, and then we went back to Twitter and kind of took, took back to it again and, and have had a chat last night and a little bit this morning. I started a, a little bit this morning about what that means. And, you know, I'm lazy. So I don't want to dig too deep into the encounter balance math and how they came up with a CR for a given monster. There, there's, I guess there's a few points that I have here. But, you know, yeah, I get the discrepancy. I get the fact that if you look at the table in the Dungeon Master's Guide that tells you how much damage a CR monster should have, that's often less damage than, that's often more damage than an actual monster has if you look at it in the monster manual. There's a, um, I think it's B Blog of Holding did a whole thing on this. Pretty sure it's Blog of Holding to this. Yeah, so there's a whole study, very interesting statistical study, if you care to read it, about how monsters damage or, or hit points and damage and things like that change depending on level. So, so that's a that's an issue. And we saw this particularly when I was looking at my Rav, at the at the not Ravnica book uh, at the Van Richten's guide last week. We looked at two monsters. Uh, we looked at Nosferatu, the new vampire that's in Van Richten's guide. And we can look at and we'll pick one of the many CR8s. We'll pick an Inquisitor of the Sword. So we have two monsters, both challenge rating eight. Let's look at just a few baseline stats on what's going on. And somebody I'm sure in chat can help me understand why Nosferatu does so fewer damage. But so we have Inquisitor in mind, AC 16, 91 hit points. Nosferatu, AC 17, 85 hit points. Okay, slight tweaks there. Uh, we're not going to worry too much about skills and senses or anything. I don't think there's much there, right? I don't think like there's anything that says like, oh, this is way more powerful. You know, they both are land creatures. They don't they don't have flight or anything like that so the nosferatu regens 10 hit points again if it doesn't take radiant or sunlight damage this at this level you can assume somebody's going to hit it with radiant damage if they have any idea at all so that a lot of these things get taken away pretty easily spider climb so the nosferatu is a little bit more mobile but also doesn't really have a ranged attack so that doesn't really help you when you can spider climb plus vampire vampire issues nosferatu makes a multi-attack two claw attacks followed by a bite attack Right? If both claw attacks hit the same creature, the bite attack is made with advantage. All right, that's fair. Claw attack, nine damage. Nine points of damage on claw attack. Bite attack, nine damage, plus seven necrotic damage, 16. So nine, nine, and 16, right? CR eight. So we're gonna assume that that's as much damage as it does to a single creature is nine and 18 and, and 16, 24, 34 points of damage, right? 34 points at CR eight. Now let's take a look at our Inquisitor. Inquisitor sword, multi-attack. 
Inquisitor attacks twice with a silver longsword. After it hits or misses an attack, the Inquisitor can teleport up to 30 feet, so it can move around. And it does 8 points of damage, plus 18 force damage, right? So 36 plus another 16, 42, 52 points, right? Considerably more, right? What was the amount of damage I said for the Nosferatu? But that's like, you know, it's not quite double, but it's a lot of, it's a lot more damage, right? Plus greater invisibility. So it has advantage all the time. This is the one that can tele teleports as a blink. This guy can go everywhere. The mobility of this creature is crazy high, right? It's got a bunch of different ways to do with a bunch of different things. So my point is the Inquisitor of the Sword is a far more threatening creature than the Nosferatu is. And yet they're the same CR and the same book that just came out. This book is weeks old, right? So there's a fair bit of variance and that's at CR eight. That's not even that high. So there's a fair bit of variance of CR monsters. And the reality is we're stuck with it, right? Like we can complain. I'm complaining right now. I don't expect all monsters to do the same damage exactly at a given challenge rating, but I don't expect it to be 80% different, right? And I think that's some of what, uh, whoops, that's the wrong article. I think that's what Teos is kind of talking about. Teos said that what he really wants, when we were talking about it on Twitter, he said what he really wants is a better ability to tune and tailor an encounter to know exactly how difficult it's going to be. And my argument was you're rolling a 20-sided die, right? It's a 5% flat curve across an entire die range. It's swingy as hell already. That's a very swingy die, right? The, the odds of getting a 1 and the odds of getting a 10 and the odds of getting a 20 are the same, right? They're all 5%. It's not a curve like a, like a pair of D6s. It's already a very swingy game, so it's going to be swingy. And I think we want that swinginess. I think the reality is... Sharp edges aren't bad, right? That like having it that shadows are way different and way more dangerous than a thug is, right? Because again, thugs are thugs, thugs are hard, right? A lot of CR1 half guys are, are hard, right? So we look at a thug, all right? And the thug, 32 hit points, AC 11. So a lot of hit points, low armor class. So it means you hit it a lot. Two melee attacks, four plus, plus four to hit, five damage each attack, pack tactics. So it has advantage a lot of time if it's attacking these. Thugs are dangerous monsters, right? They, they stay around a long time because they're high hit points for their CR. And they do a lot of damage because they have two attacks at advantage. They can do up to 10 points of damage. I'd say thugs are lethal at first level. But let's compare them to a shadow. So shadows... CR one half, right? Their CR one half is shadow. Only 16 hit points and AC 12, except I believe they are damage resistant to non-magical attacks and a lot of different spell type things, which means at low levels, you're not going to be inflicting. So they are effectively a 32 hit point monster, kind of, not, not exactly really, but you know. They do only one attack, nine damage, so pretty close to the amount of damage a thug does if it hits, but worse is they drain strength right? They reduce your strength. And if it's reduced to zero, you die. That makes them really lethal. They also shadow stealth when in dim light of darkness can take the hide action as a bonus action, which means they have advantage in their attacks, very similar to a thug. But boy, shadows scare the hell out of people. They're really scary monsters, right? And, and a lot of people would point at a shadow and be like, that's way more dangerous than a thug because it can kill you when it drains your strength. Right. And you get attacked by a bunch of them and you're going to lose your, you know, that strength drain is going to be really, really pretty brutal. So there are sharp edges, right? And there are sharp edges across CR. One, a CR monster of a given challenge rating is not the same as a monster of another challenge rating. And that, that, or I'm sorry, two monsters of the same challenge rating could have a lot of variance between the two of them. And I think that's what, that's part of the problem. 
The other part of the problem is that the challenge rating math, the math that Watsi uses to determine the challenge rating of, of, of an encounter is based on the fact that there are no multi-classing, no feats, and no magic items, right? And multi turns out multi-classing feats and magic items make up a huge amount of the effectiveness of a character. They were also built around the player's handbook classes, not around Tasha's and Xanathar's. Tasha's had definite boosts to characters' capabilities just by those new default abilities. But if you mix in Xanathar's and Tasha's and their subclasses, and then you start multi-classing, and you have new feats and new magic items and all this stuff, it means characters got more powerful which means the encounter balance math didn't work out. So what's interesting is what, what Teos talks about and what I agree with is that it's not monster armor class and hit points generally aren't so bad for their challenge rating, but damage is low, particularly at higher levels. And I agree with that a lot. Uh, another creature I will complain about, uh, I've been complaining about this one recently, uh, is in Candlekeep Mysteries. Here we have a challenge rating 16 creature. CR 16, 306 hit points, armor class 17. This looks good. F uh, 40 foot movement, fly, hover 40 feet. You know, uh, does it have true sight or anything? Yeah, true sight. So it sees through invisibility. Always check for true sight. That's an important one. Legendary creature. Let's look at the attacks. Nintara, Nintra makes two attacks. Claw, plus 12 to hit. High hit bonus. Damage, 12 piercing damage. 12 piercing damage at CR 16. Spellcasting, fairy fire, mirror image, storm of shadows, looks like a fireball. 28 damage, 8d6, right? Legendary actions, can make one attack. So we're talking five attacks, what's five times 12? Somebody do some math for me. Five times two is 10, 60 points. So that's 60 points of damage for a CR 16 monster, 60 points. That is ridiculous. This monster is not gonna scare anybody. Not gonna scare anybody, right? Holy cow, 300 hit points. Uh, so uh, Sour Cookie is saying 300 hit points will get chewed through within two rounds at those levels. Not if you're flying, not if you're flying. I think it's a lot harder to, you know, we, we often like go with the paladin, you know, paladin smite, double smite attack, right? But I think if you have any defensive capability at all, and when you have mirror image, and flight, and AC 17 is not super low. I, I, I think the defenses are fine, right? For a CR for a CR 16, but oh my God, that damage is low, right? Like if I'm running this, I'm adding 66 necrotic onto that. I'm gonna put another, what is that? 7, 14, 21 points. I'm gonna do add 21 more points per hit to this. And now I'll scare people. Now it's 33 damage a hit, 33 times five. Three times five, 150. Now we're talking about 160, 170 points of damage a turn. Now we have a challenge rating 16 monster that's going to scare people, right? We're not going to scare anybody with 12 points of damage. So if Teos needs an example of a monster that doesn't hit hard enough right here, Nintra Ciata. Again, this book just came out like a couple months ago, right? So the monster design is not getting better. It's certainly not getting better, right? Some of the, some of the, um, effects that they have are really cool and listening to dan dylan talking about monster design in fifth and the new stuff that they added to a lot of van richten monsters a lot of the van richten monsters are really cool take those handcuffs off on damage man like that's not 12 damage is not threatening anybody i don't care what some spreadsheet says it's not scary it's going to be lame and now i've got to modify it and i've now paid 50 bucks for a book that i immediately have to modify i think this is teos's thing right? That monsters don't, just don't hit hard enough. And this is why, like, I'm, 
you know, I'm getting, I'm getting mad. I'm getting frustrated. Pardon me for getting frustrated. But I'm done waiting for things to get fixed on their own. I'm going to fix things myself. I'm my own game, and I'm going to offer them up to the world so that they can do it too. And that's why I write articles like The Dials of Monster Difficulty, right? And I have another one coming out, which is add necrotic damage, right? Like, like when you have monsters like this, throw as much necrotic damage on a monster as you feel like it needs. Particularly like if there are any kind of like undead or demons or devils or dark fae or whatever... Adding necrotic damage is easy, but adding any elemental damage works fine. But the, the dials, we got to keep our hands on the dials, right? And there are four dials, hit points, num hit points, number of creatures, number of attacks, and the amount of damage of those attacks. These are all four numbers that you can tweak to tailor a battle for your group. And you will know better about how your group reacts to monsters. So you'll know, do I have to turn this dial up or down? Is my, do I need to turn the damage way up, but keep the hit points and, you know, keep the hit points lower? Is, do I want to run fewer monsters that do a lot more damage? You know, however you want to do this, you've got four dials that you can turn. And you can turn them pretty easily. It's not hard to tweak these, right? It's not hard to do much with this. To increase or decrease hit points, damage, number of monsters, and the number of attacks that they have. If you want a real easy way, like if you don't want to do a bunch of math on damage math, the idea of just giving a creature an extra attack, right? Sometimes it's really deadly when you do that. But if you give creatures an extra attack, that really does a lot, right? And I'll give you an example, like mummies, right? So a mummy, yeah, mummy challenge rating three, they have the rotted fist attack that does, you know, 10 bludgeoning plus 10 necrotic. That's actually really high. So that might be fine. But if like, if it's a little scary and the fact it could do dreadful glare and so mummies are probably fine. You probably don't want to be jack, you know, increasing a mummy. But if you want a really dangerous mummy, give it two rotting fist attacks. And now it's doing 40 points of damage. That scares the hell out of people. I did this in a battle once and it almost wiped them out. It was that one move because it does so much extra damage. We can't count on wizard. We can't count on D&D &D monsters to be well-tuned for what we want when we're running our game. And we have to have some tools of our own to be able to get monsters where we want them. And those are the four dials. Um, when it comes to encounter balance, so, so a, a lot of what Teos was talking about isn't so much the monster design, but also how encounter design works. He wants to know an easy battle, a medium battle, a hard battle, and a deadly battle, right? And I'm my argument is you're never going to really know that. And what's really the difference between an easy and a medium or a medium and a hard, right? Like circumstances, and again, you're rolling D20s, right? And poor rolls and good rolls change a lot of things. So luck has such a factor, you're never really going to understand. So better is just understanding how where how deadly is deadly. And I have the the lazy encounter, you know, the lazy was it deadly encounter benchmark? The lazy encounter benchmark. The lazy encounter benchmark goes like this. Are you ready? Get out your pen and paper. Uh, an encounter may be deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than one quarter the sum total of character levels or one half of character levels if they're fifth level or above. I've said it so many times I have it memorized. I'll say it again now. An encounter may be deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than the uh, one quarter the sum total of all character levels or one half of character levels if they're above fourth level, if they're fifth level or above. So in other words, if you have, uh, where, where I was playing in a game yes, last night and the characters are fifth level, so that means it jumps up to the next notch, and we had six of us, so the sum total of character levels is 30, right? Five times six. And which means that See, we can handle up to 15 challenge ratings worth of monsters. If you took all the monsters that make sense, 
if you if you make if you take all the monsters that make sense for the situation and add their challenge ratings together, if it's greater than 15, the encounter may be deadly. It's a fuzzy benchmark. Sometimes it's not. Uh, Nidro says, so total CR is greater than total character level divided by four. Yes, for 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 first to fourth level. Right? At fifth level, it's half. But a question comes up on what if it goes up again? So what if it becomes equal at 11th or 10th level and above? And I think it might. I think if you have characters that are 10th level, at that point, they're really hardy. And at 10th level, a battle may be deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is equal to the sum total of character levels, right? And that's a lot of monsters, right? That is, that's heavy. Because think about, let's say you have six 10th level characters. That's 60. That means six 10th level characters should, you know, uh, a Balor, well, no, Balors, I think, are higher than CR. There's CR 19. So six 10th level characters should be able to take on at 60? No. Yeah, 60. They should be able to take on three Balors. I don't know about that. That's pretty, maybe. But again, that's deadly. So could they take two Balors? Maybe, right? I think... People in chat, what do you think? Do you think that a uh, that six 10th level characters could kill two Balors? Maybe, right? I mean, it's a lot of hit points. 262 hit points, two attacks, 21 plus 13 damage on their attacks. So they're doing Balors or Chumps. I don't think they're Chumps, man. I think Balors are pretty tough. Oh, it's a longsword and a whip, right? And so the whip is uh, 25 damage for the whip and the longsword is... 34 damage. So 25 plus 34, 29, 59 points. So maybe 10th level characters, six 10th level characters, you know, and, but you look at the CR and you're like, CR 19 is so much higher than 10. That should be too hard. Yeah. Uh, watching my party of five 13th level characters take on a CR 23 ancient black shadow dragon. Yes. I think they could take on two. Yeah. So the other part that my encounter balance math doesn't attribute for is action economy, which is of course a big deal. So it doesn't work well against a single monster. It, it assumes multiple monsters. My, my encounter building guidelines always assumes multiple monsters. And if you think about a CR 23 Ancient Black Shadow Dragon and you added what kind of monster makes sense for um, hang on, Shadow Assassins, right? Don't they have those higher level? Uh, shadow Demons would make sense for a, uh, a Black Dragon. Yeah, Shadow Assassins, right? And what, what CR are these? These are CR 9. They're pretty hard. But if you threw a bunch of Shadow Demons in with your... Black Dragon, I bet it's a lot harder. Even though Shadow Demons are not really, they're, they're challenge rating four. They're not close to CR 23 in a Black Dragon. But if you threw some Shadow Demons in with your Black Dragon and got the action economy up in the favor of the dragon a little bit, I bet you'd be crazy. You know, <clears throat> I bet it would be crazy powerful and a, and a hard fight. I think it would be a hard fight. What level was that again that you did it at? 13th level. 13th level is pretty hard, right? 13th level are high level characters. So yeah. I don't know. So let's take a look at that. So if we say 13th level, so 13 math, math is hard. That's 65 CR. So in, so in the new Sly Flourish one, that ancient black dragon that's 23 is only half of the challenge rating it ought to be, right? If we use my new one, and I'm, I think my new one is way into deadly, but I bet you it works. I bet you it's pretty close, which means you could throw, so let's subtract uh, 23 from that. 40, whoa, is that right? 65 minus 23 is 42. So what if you threw 10 shadow demons in there? And remember, uh, they are, they're demons, so they can be repelled. And they do one attack, but if they have advantage, they do 17 damage. So I bet you if you threw eight to 10 shadow demons that like the dragon whirls around and all the shadows come to life and attack and they're all shadow demons, 
Oh boy, I bet you your 13th level group is really going to have a hard go of it, right? So I think I think that that I think that my increase encounter thing probably works, but I bet you it really is deadly. I bet you if you at if at level 10, you double you 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 double it again so that, you know, uh, an encounter may be deadly if the total <clears throat> I mean it still fits because yeah, it's deadly, but it may be deadlier even if it's less than that. And that's really, is that really the best threshold? I'm not sure. But three quarters is a pain. And no one wants to do three quarters of the math. It's probably better at three quarters. Um, but I'm not going to do three quarters. And, and you know, characters have so many capabilities at that level that I bet you if you doubled it again so that the total, mon the total amount of monster challenge ratings is equal to the total amount of character levels, certainly that's deadly. And I bet you that scales up better all the way to 20. So that's a thought. And, and, and so my, my, a big point of this in my conversations with Teos and Enrique and our friend Robert, um, uh, Rob, Rob Bodine and company on Twitter is that I want it easy. Like I'm a lazy guy. I don't give me a lot of work. I'm busy. I'm a busy dude. I'm running D and D games twice a week, right? Don't give me a bunch of stuff that I have to do. Don't make me rebuild monsters. Don't make me have to do like trigonometry in order to figure out an encounter balance. I want a light, loose rule of thumb that gives me a decent gauge of how things are going to go. And I will probably hang on to my, this new one. I think that quarter, you know, quarter character level maximum CR for deadly at levels one to four, half at five to 10, uh, I guess five to 10 and, and 11 to 20, uh, is equal to, I think that that works. And I think, and then the other, and then have the dials on hand. You need these two things in conjunction with another, right? On one side, you want a loose benchmark that tells you roughly how deadly an encounter may be maybe isn't going to be you don't know what it's going to be we're rolling a bunch of d20s on that side and the other side you have a bunch of dials and the dials help you tweak an encounter to make it more tailored for the group and the scene that you're doing and the beats of your game and what is fun and interesting right so i think to me these two tools that i that i offer the encounter building guideline lazy encounter building guideline on one side and the dials and monster difficulty on the other two articles they're free you can get them on my website i think if you put these two things together uh, lazy encounter benchmark. In fact, I should probably link the monsters, the monsters one to my top articles because I think it's really important. So that's one. And then the other one that goes hand in hand with that is dials of monster difficulty. And I think if you want to have a good handle on the challenge rating of your battles in D&D, &D, hang onto those two things, understand them, internalize them, build them in your head. You don't need any tools. You don't need charts. You don't need tables. You don't need web applications or anything like that. All you need to internalize these things, know what the four dials are and how to turn them and, and understand the encounter building benchmark. And those two things together, I think makes it much easier to improvise awesome battles in your D&D game. So I should probably do a short video on that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to add that to my to-do list. We beat that topic to death, but it's an interesting one. It's one that I have spent a lot of time thinking about critical role and the 20th level of complexity of DD. so critical role just fin finished their season two their 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 second campaign uh this past thursday i think it was in a seven hour pre-recorded video of them playing DD. it was their final conclusion one of the things i find fascinating about this is there's a great great video on youtube i love it and it's the it was the com the levels of complexity uh, for skateboarding with Tony Hawk, right? So Tony Hawk got together with Wired Magazine. Wired does a, uh, a series of videos talking about the levels of complexity. And what I love about this video is it, it takes these skills and it talks about like what the levels of complexity are. There's another one on origami, 
It's the levels of complexity between like the sim, and he just does cicadas, which is very fitting. I'm, we're surrounded by cicadas. So he talks about the 11 levels of complexity. Let's see if I can find like a clip, right? Of like the, right? So here's, here's his, go away, man, ads. Here is the simplest cicada that you can do in origami, right? And then you go to like the most complex cicada origami. Right. And look at like the detail level. Look at that. Right. So look at the difference between it's got a little mouth on it. Right. Crazy. Those are he talks about the 11 complexity levels. Uh, Tony Hawk does the same thing. Everything from like a kick, not even kickflip, but like an ollie, I guess it is all the way up to like two skateboarding moves two half pipe moves that at the time of the video had never been done before. They knew they could do them. And actually one person did accomplish one. But I think one still has not yet been accomplished. And I love that idea of like these levels of complexity. And we and somebody brought up on my Patreon and said, what are the levels of complexity of D&D? And I wrote this huge article about it. And, and like, and I, I rewrote it a couple of times about the levels of complexity of D&D stuff. And like, what does it mean to have like a level? And I said, let's do it in 20 levels because D&D is 20 levels and that makes sense. So what like a first level D&D game look like, right? And to me, like a first level D&D game is, Somebody buys the starter set, they sit down with their friends, they open it up, they read the books that are inside, they hand out the pregens, and they run the first chapter of, um, uh, of uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver for the first time, right? That's like a level one game. They have the dice in the box, everything in there, $10 cost, 10 to $15 cost, they're playing D&D, right? That's level one. And then I went up, like, not level by level, but I kind of jumped, like, a couple levels. So it was basically, like, 10 levels of complexity instead of 20. But, you know, I wanted to do, like, a 1 to 20. So then I was like, what is a 20th level D&D game like, right? What is the most complex game you can imagine? And to me, the most complex game I can imagine at the time was Critical Role, Vecna the Ascended. Vecna the Ascended. It was the 114th episode of the Vox Mechana episode, right? This, to me, is a 20th level D&D game. And it, is, it could be, it's possible, it's the only one in the world, right? Maybe. And maybe that's a little extreme. And other, if, you've, if you've got thoughts, argue with me. I'm ready. I'm prepared to argue this, this case. Think about all of the energy that happened in this campaign overall, 114 episodes. They're 20th level. There are eight players, sometimes nine players at the table. Imagine running a nine-character 20th level D&D game. Look at the, you know, custom miniatures for everybody, custom terrain for everybody, a room that is built to look like a tavern around them, right? Voice actors who have been doing this for a long time, who are professionals with, at least on the, the voice actor side of this thing. But really now they're professional D&D players too, right? You know, look at the complexity of this, of this particular game, six hour D&D game, that's pretty much one battle. Think of the character ties that took place. Multiple times throughout the game, people burst into tears from the emotional impact of what's happening in the game and what's happened in the campaign and how they feel as characters and how they feel as friends. That is amazing to think about everything that has gone on in this game. That is what a 20th level D&D game looks like. Uh, Blero says, MCDM's The Chain is up there. Have they run a 20th level game though? I don't think they got to 20th level. And that's part of it. So there's like, there's so many variants of complexity in here that aren't just how high level the game is or the number of players or the fact that it's a live stream game. But when you put all this together, all of the things together, you know, this is crazy in its complexity. So to me, this is like somebody pulling the 1080 you know, on a half pipe, right? This is a 20th level game. And I'm curious. So 
Critical Role just finished their second season. They had their and a seven-hour final game. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't been keeping up with Critical Role season two. It's just too much material. But I bet you, and they only got to 16th level. So I'm curious if it was as the, of the same level of complexity as this one is, right? They got to 16th level. So pretty close if you, if you add the other levels of complexity. And then you add COVID on top of that. They had to play during COVID. So they had to rebuild their entire studio and figure out how to get everybody there and be safe. I bet you that's pretty close to another 20th level game. And we don't get to see games like that very often. I think that that is really neat and something to pay attention to, whether or not you are a fan of Critical Role or not. The idea that we have a game here that we can watch, that in my opinion, I have not seen or heard of another game of the same level of complexity, a single game of the same level of complexity, which includes the game that you're watching plus everything that led up to it, all the character development that led up to it, right? There's a reason why a counterspell, you know, there's a reason why the casting of a counterspell in this, in this game made two character, two players start to cry because of what it meant. What, it meant what spell they couldn't cast because they had to cast the counterspell to stop Vecna from teleporting away. We don't get to see a lot like this. So I was talking to my friend Teos and he brought up a really good point. And it's something I've thought about a lot too. When we get into the Mercer effect, right? And we talked about the Mercer, you, you can find out about the Mercer effect. The Mercer effect is basically, is Matt Mercer making it look too good to be a DM that people aren't playing D&D? The answer is no, lots of people are playing D&D and lots of people play D&D anyway. But his point was like, you, sure, you look at a game like this and it's a 20th level game. But if you look at any of their normal games, they look like a bunch of people playing D&D. Right, they're good and it's cool set and the players are all into it and you know they're laughing and having a good time. And certainly not all of the games in the world are as fun as that one is. But like if you squint, it's a bunch of people playing D&D. They're going to shops, they're buying stuff, they're figuring out the character stuff. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on. You know, I, I, I was laughing because I was looking in the table of contents and they said that in the final game of the season, Sam finally figured out how evasion worked for a rogue at 16th level. That was funny, right? So like, you know, what does their D&D game look like? A lot like your D&D game, right? Really, if you squint, it's a bunch of friends sitting around the table rolling dice and laughing. I think certainly if people are intimidated by what Mercer is doing, they're looking too hard at it, right? I'm, in my opinion. It's far easier. Just they're, we're watching people play D&D. And I think like one of the great things is people can now see what D&D looks like, which is a huge deal for so long, for 30 years, no one could actually see. And if you didn't go to a game, you didn't know what D&D looked like. You read the books, you're like, I don't know what this means. And now there's thousands of D&D games, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of D&D games that you can go watch on YouTube. And you can see exactly what it looks like. And you can see all different kinds. And that's awesome. That's why the game is as popular as this, I think. Right, and so uh, uh, Kithri here brings a very good point. Mercer's game complexity includes what the players bring. A 20th level game isn't all the DM, maybe 70% the DM, yeah. The, what the players bring matters too. So here's a reason why I tossed away like two or three versions of that article and ended up not, I wrote a different article, which was about what are the paths of DM expertise, right? And that's where I took some of the material. I took some of the material that I wrote in the original article and I stuck it in here. And I still use the skateboarding, the levels of complexity of skateboarding as a model. But what I didn't do was define benchmarks of like what the levels of complexity are. And instead, I turned it around into what can we all do to just get better at D&D? What are the areas, once we've gotten past the basics, what are the things that we can improve in that will take our game to a better place, right? But, but a very good point that some very smart people brought to me in when I was talking, I, 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 like the article is ready to be published and I put, I put it up on Discord because I do that on Fridays. If you want to see previews of my articles three days before they come out, come to the SciFlourish Discord and hang out and you'll see them. 
and a bunch of people were like pushing back and like the problem is you're you're talking about all these games that none of us are going to be able to reach like no you know no one's running games like like vecna the ascended i don't run games like that right like the most complex game i ever ran was probably the last game of my fourth edition game and it was a three-year campaign huge battles it was really big and that was as close as i came to like a 20th level dnd game and i don't think it was 20th level right i would say you know 17 18th level i don't know it didn't didn't have the character complexity that the other stuff had but it was a really complex game and i haven't run one that complex since maybe when i ran tiamat in tyranny of dragons it was pretty close that was really big but even then the sets you know the the table design and everything wasn't nearly as good so it's far better to think about what are the paths that we can take in order to become better at, D at this this craft of dming than it is to worry about like are we going to reach the 20th level like mercer does and and that was really why the paths of expertise were not really that useful that it instead was building it was too hard to see boundaries and barriers in places so, of well, i'm never going to reach that right so it's far better to just recognize that that first level D D game Buying the starter set, opening it up, handing a bunch of pregens to your friends, and then running the first chapter of Lost Mine of Fandelver is an awesome D&D game. A first level D&D game is an awesome D&D game. It's fun, and it's really pretty close to just as good as some of these really complex games. In fact, I bet you more players have fun at first level enjoying themselves playing the first chapter of Lost Mine of Fandelver than do playing in most 16th level D&D games because 16th level is really hard on everybody. It's hard on the DM. It's hard on players who have to know all their character abilities. It's hard on the rest of the group who have to wait for everybody else to come up with their stuff. There's a reason like I don't play in tier three games at organized play conventions. I have a couple tier three characters, but I'm not interested because I don't want to go through the hassle right? High level D&D is, is hard. And so a lot of times it's way easier to screw up a high level game than it is to screw up a low level game, I think, unless you kill characters at first level, which is pretty easy to do. The levels of complexity of D&D aren't really that important because it turns out lower complexity games are often just as fun or more fun than high complexity games. Complexity and fun aren't, uh, they're not in line, right? That that 20th level game, Lord Kazumba. So I wonder, I was, uh, Lord Kazumba is here in chat. Thank you. And my mom is here. Everybody say hello to my mom. Hi, mom. So, but Lord Gazumba, so how long has your game been going on? I actually had Lord Gazumba in mind when I was thinking about my statement of the, of, of the 21, of, of the, the 20th level game that um, Mercer ran as a 20th level D&D game. And then I was like, well, I don't know. Lord Gazumba has been running a game for a long time. 41 years. His campaign has been going on 41 years. And if you go to Lord Kazumba's channel and watch some of his videos, and you should, you can see that he's got a tremendous setup. He's got players he's been playing with for decades. He's got, you know, he showed me the binder once, right? Then you, you, you showed me like the binder of cleric stuff you had created, like pa new pantheons for the cleric that you had created. <laughs> and it was like a phone book, right? Of stuff that you created. So... I bet you, if any of us here in our chat channel today have anything that is close to a 20th level D&D game, Lord Gazumba would be it. Because I have seen Lord Gazumba's game, and it is tremendously complicated and tremendously big and has been going on for 40 years. Uh, Lord Gazumba, what level are the characters in your game right now? And how high have the characters gotten in your campaign? Like, have the characters switched out throughout these 41 years, or have they been literally playing the same characters for 41 years? And... What are the highest levels of the characters that have been in that campaign? I'd love, I'd love to know. 18th level. All right. So, yeah. So according to Mike Shea's BS levels of complexity, that's up there, right? I, I would say probably Lord Kazumba's game could very well be a 20th level game as well. 
And there's probably not a lot of those. Lotwook said, Mike mentioning layers of complexity. First thought was your campaign, Lorgazuba. Yeah, Lorgazuba's campaign is up there. And it's pretty awesome to have Lorgazuba here in chat. Somebody who has actually run what I would consider to be a 20th level D&D game. 41 years long, same players, up to, eighth, up to 18th level, tremendous tabletop terrain, a whole room. Lorgazuba's streaming setup is crazy good too. Multiple camera angles, uh, you know, multiple views. Really, really cool. Watch Lord Gazuba's channel. It is awesome. Doesn't Lord Gazuba have something like a thousand PCs in your campaign? How many can't, I mean, <laughs> uh, how many different characters, player characters have been in your campaign, Lord Gazuba? 2,000 player characters. <laughs> okay. That's a 20th level D&D game. Not, not that my opinion matters at all. Not that I would flag it with anything in particular. That's a tremendous accomplishment, right? So everybody else, Start working and in 41 years, you might have a 20th level D&D game. But the reality is, and that matters. I think I'm not knocking Lord Gazuba's game. Lord Gazuba's game is awesome. If you watch Lord Gazuba's D&D game, it looks like a D&D game, right? It, it looks if like if you took somebody who didn't know anything about D&D and you watched Lord Gazuba's game and you watched somebody who bought the starter set and sat down and started playing, aside from tremendous production value and tabletop accessories and stuff like that, which are, are obviously are eye grabbers. The way they're playing and the kind of fun they're having is very similar to one another. So the levels, trying to chase a level of complexity is not, shouldn't be the goal. Having fun at your next game should be the goal. And that's why I ultimately dumped the article because it's really not that useful. And to me, it's far better to say, where do we go, right? And the beginner's path is like, start with the starter sets, right? And then running a small campaign and becoming the character's biggest fan, run lots of games and run lots of systems, right? These are all uh, tips that I got from a lot of people that I talked to. How to be flexible, adaptable, and and know how to improvise. Understanding pacing, maps, props. and So these are all different levels of complexity and lines that I thought of, right? But I think that there is a lot of, you know, so this article I think is a much more positive article that people, that, that, that um, I think people can get some good value from because it's not about trying to be 20th level complexity. It's not about being Matt Mercer or trying to be Lord Gazumba. You know, it's about how do we get better independently? And and I have thoughts about how I think I can get better and how I think lots of people can get better. Think about the comparison to Tony Heck is that not everyone that picks up a skateboard is supposed to make it to the level of doing a, doing a McTwist. I don't even know what a McTwist is. Yeah, but the 1080, uh, 1080 on the half pipe was pretty big. Yeah, right. And like not everybody who picks up a skateboard ever assumes you're going to get there. The thing is that like, you would, a difference would be, uh, is that you might say Matt Mercer and Lord Kazuba are 20th level DMs because they've been running 20th level games. That doesn't make them better than somebody who's only played for a year, right? Like not really, not that I'm insulting. Again, I know Lord Kazuba knows that I'm not insulting him. Good D&D is good D&D, right? And we can get better at D&D. Levels of complexity of D&D are, are really interesting to look at. And it's really interesting to see how people get better and what kind of stuff they do with the game. And I'm fascinated by it. But good D&D is good D&D. And first level D&D games are awesome, right? First level D&D games are great. And so any D&D is good.